a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I welcome you on behalf of me and my sinuses. I don't know what is in the air these days. Well, I do, actually. It's smoke and particulates and a lot of stuff that's uh, making me sneeze my fool head off. But nonetheless, I'm glad you're with me today. Yep, the battle for your mind, it's a real thing. And I'm not here to tell you what to think, but I am here to invite you to think more clearly and independently about the world around us. So whether you are a first-time wrong thinker or a seasoned veteran of the battle for your mind, I encourage you to pull up a chair, come and find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers. But most importantly, I invite you to claim your heritage as a free individual. By the way, our show is brought to you by great sponsors each week, like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I've been thoughtful enough to uh, put a link in my show notes, which you can find at the com that will connect you to each one of these sponsors. So I was having a conversation with a friend last night, and this is a guy who I trust. This is a, I've been friends with him for a very long time. I have seen him through good times and bad times, and he's one of those individuals. I, I, hope, you all, I hope we all have friends like this. There's a certain steadiness about this, this friend that uh, that gives me strength, all right? So I feel reassured. If I'm, I'm talking to my friend, I feel like, you know, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm not alone here. There There is some sanity in the world in spite of uh, everything that seems to point to the contrary, you know, that we're, we're kind of losing our collective minds. But in the course of our conversation, my friend told me about how he had unplugged from the media. And I mean really, like abstains from all media, mass media, social media. Um, being informed is something that uh, that a lot of us tell ourselves. You know, that's the justification for why I got to get online. First thing when I wake up in the morning, what am I doing? Oh, I'm checking my news feed. I got to see, is there anything I need to know about? Now, if you're feeling a little bit sheepish, I, I don't want you to feel like you're being singled out here. I do it too. In fact, I, I sometimes question, is this habit or is this addiction? Or is there, is there a difference? I don't know. But I'm drawn like a moth to the flame. You know, I've got to know. i got to know. Tell me what's happening. Otherwise, I might feel like I'm missing out somewhere. After talking to my friend, who for months now has abstained from most media, and I mean almost all of it, he was saying that it has totally changed his life for the better. Now, I can hear, you know, the sophisticated among us, you know, well, sure, if you want to walk around in a perpetual cloud of ignorance and not knowing what's going on. But I would submit to you that uh, in talking with my friend, I, I sensed a peace about him and just a, an assurance in his voice that whatever's going on in the world, and, you know, he's got his challenges too, just like everybody else. He's not intentionally burdening himself by trying to remain informed 
by the narrative managers of the chattering class. And I think he's on to something. And, and I understand there's a certain amount of irony in that, uh, well, now, Brian, you're speaking to me on a, you know, a mass media, you know, uh, platform here. You're trying to reach as many people as possible. True, true. But I'm also trying to reach people for whom truth is more than just a, you know, a hobby. Yeah, we bump into it once in a while, but, you know, it's really no big deal. I could take it or leave it. Because I, I believe I'm speaking to people for whom truth is uh, <clears throat> it's a central tenet of their life. It's a foundational part of who they are. They want to remain rooted in reality. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a lot of what's going on around us today is, is deliberately disconnected from reality. Oh, wait till you hear what I've got to tell you about. Um, you know, you think that uh, you think abortion couldn't become more controversial, right? Especially in light of the new Texas law that would outlaw most abortions once a fetal heartbeat can be detected. Well, guess what? <laughs> now there's uh, there are certain advocacy groups stepping forward, and now they're claiming that abortion isn't just for women anymore. Yeah, we went intersectional on an already controversial topic, so it's it just gets crazier. And if you're serious about maintaining your reality and maintaining your sanity in the midst of all this, well, first of all, you got your work cut out for you. But I think it's also time to really consider what brings value into your life. And I'm saying this with the full knowledge that, you know, I may not be one of those things that brings value into your life or at least brings things that, uh, that uplift you. Now, I try to. And I appreciate those of you who will give me feedback. If you, if you tell me, Brian, it's been a little heavy lately. I do take that to heart. And it's not because I'm looking for excuses, you know, to not talk about anything controversial. I'm okay with that. But what I don't want to do is weigh you down with, with fears or with, with anger or with the sense of, oh my gosh, this is so much worse than we thought it was. I'm trying to show the world as it is but at the same time, encourage you to consider how it could be and how you and I can, can have some serious influence on making the world, you know, connecting that what the world is with what it could be. That's what leadership is all about. And it's going to be different for each one of us. And no, we're not going to fix all the problems. This is a fallen world. It's going to stay that way. Well, until Jesus comes back. That's just the way that it is. But... You're not as helpless as you think. And I wanted to start off by talking about why we don't trust the media and why we're right not to trust the media. This was published on LewRockwell.com. It's originally from uh, the uh, Boyd Cathy Review. I think that's what it's called. Boyd Cathy Review of Books at blogs.blogspot.com. And Boyd Cathy says, sometimes in the midst of all the assaults on our Western, our historic Western civilization, the best approach, the most effective counter arguments utilize humor, mordant wit that can make significant points and sometimes attract more interest in readers than a serious documented report. I think uh, if I could just uh, throw this in as an aside, uh, is it J.P. Sears, the long haired uh, YouTube sensation, his parody is I know for some people, they think, oh, this is pretty juvenile. That guy can say more truth 
in the course of poking fun at some of the different foibles of, of what is going on right now culturally than anybody I know. And, and I think he deserves to be a, a YouTube sensation. But he has to couch it in humor. So Boyd Cathy's point is taken. But he says, unfortunately, in our day and time, far too many of our fellow citizens either don't have time to spend reading such epistles. Often they confront such detailed information with a yawn, counting the minutes to the latest episode of America's Got Talent or The Bachelorette, or anticipating more social posturing on Facebook or Twitter, which increasingly dominate our lives to the exclusion of all else. Now, Boyd Cathy says, well, many of our parents and we grew up, even in the most rural schools, reading a smattering of Shakespeare. He says, I had to read Macbeth and Julius Caesar in high school or memorizing a famous poem or two. He says, I can recall learning by heart Milton's On His Blindness and Edgar Allan Poe's Annabelle Lee again in high school or on being able to write a correct sentence and learning at least the outlines of American history. While they and we were exposed to such education today, it seems much of that has gone by the wayside. But he points out how on National Public Radio, back on September 4th, on one of its woke quiz shows, I think it was, wait, wait, don't tell me, a youthful, supposedly educated celebrity contestant was asked to name the famous plantation where George Washington lived on the Potomac River. You know, he's talking about Mount Vernon, right? You could hear the contestant's consternation and perplexity. It was as if she had somehow stepped into a black hole in a galaxy light years away. Now, obviously, her history courses, such as they were, didn't mention that. Answers to all the questions about trendy rock groups? Yeah, that's a sure thing. But a real knowledge of American history? Yet. In fact, the accusation is that such knowledge is actually a sure sign of racism. That is, historic white supremacy, whose hegemony stains and marks irredeemably our, our every aspect, every facet of our history, our culture, our language, our very existence. Isn't that fascinating? I saw this too, by the way, when uh, they were taking down the statue of Robert E. Lee in uh, Richmond, Virginia, earlier this week. And I, I posted the opinion on Twitter that was like, hey, you know... He really was a great man. You would know that if you read anything that the guy wrote. His letters to his sons and his personal observations. Yeah, he may have been on the wrong side, but Robert E. Lee was a great man. The monument didn't confer that greatness to him. And it certainly doesn't take it away just because the monument went away. Yeah, people lost their minds. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing an article here from Boyd Cathy. I saw this uh, published earlier today on LewRockwell.com. Why we don't trust the media and why we're right not to. We'll get back to it here in just a moment. A quick shout out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. This is who you want to talk to if you are in the market for a VA loan or a traditional loan or a reverse mortgage. And this is especially true for any of my listeners within the state of Utah and particularly those in southern Utah. It's a really intense real estate market right now. So when you find the home of your dreams, well, congratulations, but you better have your financing in order right then 
because it's not going to stick around for you. The competition's very fierce. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes in. They can make things happen and happen quickly because they have experience, they have clout, and a desire to really take care of you. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can call 435-703-4522 or see them at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. So back to Boyd Cathy's article about why we're right not to trust the media. And he talked about uh, how back on September 4th, you know, this this woke quiz show on NPR um, asked an educated celebrity contestant, what was the name of the plantation, the famous plantation where George Washington lived on the Potomac? She couldn't answer it. She didn't know it was Mount Vernon. Real knowledge of American history is something that you know, people, people, they, they only know what uh, somebody has told them or, you know, that there's a slogan that they can chant or something like this. But actually reading original sources, reading the words of the people in question, it's not like these guys were, were secretive and, you know, didn't, they never wrote anything down. No, they had, they had lots and lots of correspondence, lots of things that, the, that they put down on paper. Very prolific writers. So why don't more people know? Well, part of it could be laziness. Part of it could be that they've just been shepherded in a direction that that persuades them that uh, everything we need to know, you know, I will tell you. In fact, uh, Boyd Cathy points out, to follow the template of the new breed of academic scholars, where you get people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project, or Robin DeAngelo. Whiteness is akin to a terminal disease, an inherited, fatal, and an ineradicable malady which must literally be torn out of society, extinguished, totally expelled. And far, far too many of our educators either believe this rubbish or, at the very least, go along with it or simply refuse to oppose it because they fear being labeled racist or banned on Twitter or Facebook or perhaps severely punished at work or canceled in the public square. The outrageous examples abound. Now, there has been, of course, pushback. But in our present society, the major vehicles of communication and learning are possessed by those who, he puts it boldly, wish our extinction. And they employ those media with an unrelenting zeal, an almost hysterical commitment, which borders on sheer madness or lunacy. Boyd Cathy says they are, as he wrote back on December 2nd of 2020, in one of his columns, the modern equivalents of pod people. Human beings possessed demonically of an inextinguishable, all-encompassing ideology of fanaticism, which resembles a psychopathic illness. Now, he says, over the years, I've noticed that one of the most effective weapons in our small quiver is humor, especially the kind that at times is, is simple sometimes is ironic and that literally slaps you in the face. That's one of the reasons why Tucker Carlson has been so successful. He's able to combine a withering critique of the latest politically correct abomination, oftentimes something very serious, with the ability to simplify and demonstrate the utter ridiculousness, the laughable, if it weren't so serious, inconsistencies of so much that passes for politics, education, and media in our benighted nation. Now, you don't have to read a long and involved policy report, although perhaps after commentary by Carlson, 
finishing with an amusing zinger you might be persuaded to. Boyd Cathy says knowledge and understanding are, in a real sense, intuited by the listener or viewer. The image projected, often sardonic or ironically sarcastic, laced with ridicule, but all the same, hitting the mark. Recently, The Guardian, that major purveyor of leftist thought and information in Britain, complained, is right-wing comedy on the rise? Well, I could see where that would bother them. And one of the right-wing comedians on the rise that The Guardian obliquely attacks is a Russian-born Brit named Konstantin Kaizen. We're actually going to talk about him coming up. Now, Boyd Cathy says, look, I admit that I'd never heard of him until just the other day when I ran across his fascinating and searingly accurate portrait of the dominant media, both American and British. Titled, Why Won't They Believe Us? It showed up in the tablet on August 10th of this year. And although its main goal is to explain with irony and thinly veiled humor why so many people are reluctant and hesitant to get vaccinated for COVID, indeed doubt about and mistrust of the entire agenda that government is now foisting off on its citizens, what Kieson writes has far greater application in Western society concerning the role of what Dr. Paul Craig Roberts has termed the prostitutes, that is, our servile media. Kieson's essay is like a rapier thrust into the puffed-up belly of our establishment media and government, slowly building, then twisting into its target, and at the same time, causing us to reflect on the ideological insanity of our media and the deep state the media whores for. And Boyd Cathy says, in the present combat in which no prisoners can or should be taken, it may well be more effective than the latest statistical study issued by the Heritage Foundation or other pseudo-conservative outfits more concerned with appearances than the real grungy combat we must engage in. And then he links to that essay, Why Don't They Believe Us? Now, I'm going to share that essay, or at least parts of that essay, with you coming up here in the next segment. But I just want to take a moment here to, to point out Humor is definitely an effective tool. In fact, this is one of the things that the really woke. I mean, you can if you stand there and you shout back and forth and you get angry and you match their anger for anger. Oh, they thrive on that. They feed on that kind of energy. That's exactly the kind of dynamic they're trying to create. Get you angry, suck you in and, you know, destroy you with that with your own anger. But when it comes to satire or parody or in some cases outright ridicule depending on how preposterous you know the the issue is at hand that's something they can't handle especially they cannot handle being ridiculed politicians feel this way too they do not like being questioned and they certainly do not like being laughed at and i'm not suggesting that we should all be engaging in you know andrew dice clay type you know cutting humor that's that's all about putting other people down or putting people in their place. What I'm suggesting, though, is I think we all benefit when we lighten up a little bit, right? I have found, and this is just my own, you know, anecdotal experience, so don't, uh, don't think that I'm trying to cite this as some kind of a proven clinical medical study, but I have found that when times are difficult, if I can find something to laugh about, That's the little boost I need to reassure me that, you know what, it's not that bad. 
we can get through. We can persevere. We can survive. You just got to have a little bit of humor and be able to laugh at it. So there's my challenge for you. So I go to break here. It's uh, take a little bit of time to find something that, that can put a smile on your face or something that can bring a sensible chuckle to your lips. Okay, it doesn't even have to be sensible. All I'm going to suggest here is that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of serious stuff going on, and sometimes it feels like everything is oh so serious. We're never going to we're never going to get away from it. Okay, decompress, laugh a little bit, unplug if you have to. When we come back, we're going to talk about why don't they believe us? The question so many in the media are asking. After all we've done for you, why don't you believe us when we tell you get the vaccine? We'll explain why after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out here to one of my great sponsors. That would be lifesavingfood.com. I know you're probably down with the idea of food storage, right? Self-reliance, that's a good thing. And it's not so much that, boy, you know, we can see the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they are coming fast. It's more a matter of just being prepared for life, whatever that may bring. And having a nice, stable supply of food with a 25-year shelf life, well, let's just say that can contribute greatly to a person's peace of mind when things are a little bit out of control or seem like they're, they're spiraling out of control. They have a lot of different packages to choose from. Look, if you're serious about starting a, a complete food storage program, I want you to know lifesavingfood.com can definitely help you there. If you have an existing program and just want to fill in a few gaps here and there, they can do that as well. Click on the link I provide in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Go to lifesavingfood.com. If you decide to make a purchase, please use my last name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, as your coupon code, They'll take 10% off your price. There you go. So let's talk for a moment about why the media is so hard to believe. I mean, it's very common to hear media heads going back and forth on CNN and so forth over issues like, why why are people vaccine hesitant? Why won't they take our word for it on these life or death matters? Well, Constantine Kissin, or Kissin rather, has a pretty compelling explanation for why the media keep asking themselves, why won't they believe us? And this is some satire, but listen to the truth of what he's saying here, too. He says, imagine you're a normal person. The year is 2016. Rightly or wrongly, you believe most of what you see in the media. You believe polls are broadly reflective of public opinion. You believe doctors and scientists are trustworthy and independent. You're a decent reliable, reasonable person who follows the rules and trusts the authorities. So imagine your shock then when Brexit, which you were assured wouldn't happen because it was a fringe movement led by racists for racists, happens. The polls, which widely predicted it wouldn't happen, were wrong. The experts and pundits who told you day after day that it wouldn't happen were also wrong. Ah, well, you think these things happen. Now imagine that soon after Brexit, Donald Trump is running for president. You are told by the most trustworthy media outlets he's going to lose. Some experts say his opponent has a 99% chance of winning. 
Imagine waking up the morning after the election to discover that the pollsters, experts, and politicians you still trusted were wrong again. Now the racist monster who you were told would never get near the White House is the leader of the free world. How did this happen, you ask yourself? How could everyone I rely on for good information be so wrong? Well, it was the Russians, they tell you. The Russians did Brexit, and they got Trump elected, too. Now he says, imagine that for the next three years, day after day, the media and politicians you still trust to keep you up to date on this story of Trump's collusion uh, with, with Russia. They tell you the how, when, where, and why, the dossiers, the whistleblowers, the peeing prostitutes. Imagine your desperation for things to make sense again. Somehow. And then here comes the Mueller report. Hard evidence of foreign meddling in Brexit in the 2016 election is coming to set the world right again. But he says, imagine your shock then when you discover that Brexit had little to do with foreign meddling. And Robert Mueller had very little to report about Trump and the Russians. The collusion story, which dominated your news intake for the better part of three years, slowly dies down, and then it's gone. No one talks about it anymore. Imagine that bit by bit, you're starting to feel that the events you were told would not and could not happen, not only happened, but happened without some sort of malign interference. Instead, millions of your fellow citizens simply voted for them. In the American case, it turns out that many of your fellow citizens who simply voted for Trump come from states that have been devastated by an opioid epidemic enabled by a corrupt system of incentives involving the Food and Drug Administration's doctors and Big Pharma. He says, you might want to take note of this. It'll come up again later. And again, you ask yourself, how could this happen? And again, the media outlets and the political representatives you've always trusted have the answer. Racism. Your country is racist, they tell you. If you're white, this may seem strange to you. Other than a handful of idiots, you've never met a racist. If you're an ethnic minority, immigrant like me, he says, well, this seems even stranger. Why would people in one of the most welcoming, tolerant countries in the world want to convince themselves their country is racist when it's so obviously not. But the evidence is right there on your TV screen. Imagine your horror as a famous and beloved gay African-American actor is assaulted by MAGA hat-wearing thugs who racially abuse him and put a noose around his neck. In a primetime interview, he cries while talking about it. Imagine your outrage as you see news reports of a bunch of MAGA hat-wearing kids from a religious school contemptuously confronting a Native American elder. Professional adult commentators on TV tell you that kid has a punchable face. And while you abhor violence, it's hard to disagree. Imagine that for days you watch coverage of these events with expert after expert, pundit after pundit, sharing and fueling your outrage. Maybe your country really is racist. Maybe you're racist. Were you always just blind? Imagine soon after, however. The Jussie Smollett story turns out to be an attention-seeking hoax. He made it all up. Imagine you also quickly discover that the Native American elder was the one who confronted the kids, and not the other way around. If this is such a racist country, you ask yourself, why would they need to make up stories of racism? As you ponder this, you remember that for years now, you've been expected to go along with other, more elaborate, make-believe stories. You're expected to believe or understand that gender is not as binary as school. Your eyes and even your own experience have led you to believe. 
Whatever you learned about biology growing up is not only wrong, it's pathological and harmful, according to the American Psychological Association. You no longer know how many genders you're expected to be able to recognize. You do know that asking questions is dangerous. Imagine that you still want to believe the experts and commentators. But now that requires you to believe that your country is racist, that men are bad, that gender is a social construct, which is an idea you still don't really understand. It's at this point a pandemic breaks out in China. You're initially unconcerned, but as terrifying scenes increasingly emerge from Italy and other countries closer to home, it's clear that something big is happening. You watch nervously as politicians give press conference after press conference flanked by experts to explain the situation. President Trump shuts down travel to the United States from China. He has been widely condemned as a racist repeatedly in the past, and the same explanation is given this time. It's not just Americans who tell you Trump is racist for calling a virus that emerged in China a Chinese virus. In response, the mayor of Florence advises Italian citizens to fight Trump's anti-Chinese bigotry by hugging a Chinese person. Shortly after, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, one of the most respected and powerful Democrats in the country, visits Chinatown in San Francisco to explain there's no reason tourists or locals should be staying away from that area because of coronavirus concerns. Thank God there are some sensible, non-racist people who aren't overreacting. Reacting, rather, you say to yourself. Now imagine watching as Trump doubles down on his racism by claiming the virus may have come from a lab in Wuhan. Nonsense, you think? You're more concerned with how best to protect yourself and your family from this deadly disease than with its origins at this point anyway. You consider buying surgical masks or using homemade ones. You've seen visitors and tourists from Asian countries wear them, and they've been through things like this before, so maybe it's best to follow their lead. But the country's chief medical experts tell you not to wear masks and to focus on washing your hands instead. As lockdowns are introduced around the world, you diligently follow all the rules. You stay home. You only go out once and live off savings and government grants. You do your best to keep your hands clean, to not touch other surfaces that other people touch. Some political representatives make the solemn decision to shut down beaches, parks, and playgrounds, encouraging everyone to stay indoors. You are proud to be doing your part. Thanks to you and millions of your fellow citizens, the first wave of the pandemic overwhelms certain hotspots but it does not devastate the healthcare system at a national level. And while thousands sadly die, you've helped protect those around you. Now imagine your confusion as the same people who spent three months telling you not only that masks don't work, but there are several reasons you shouldn't wear or purchase them. Suddenly introduce mask mandates. We're following the science, they tell you. This seems to make little sense, but a pandemic is no time for questions. And who knows? Maybe our understanding of science evolved. As you cautiously go to the supermarket, you notice masks have made people less likely to socially distance. You remember reading somewhere that bicycle helmets work similarly. They give the wearer more confidence. The result is more accidents and injuries, not fewer. Silly people, you say to yourself, if only they would follow the experts. Got to take a quick break here. I'm going to come back to Constantine Kissin's uh, article, Why Don't They Believe Us? Remember, this is the media asking themselves, why don't they believe us? Why are people still vaccine hesitant? Well, if you've stuck around this long, I think you'll like the finish. We'll get to it right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Why don't they believe us? This is the question that many people within the chattering class are asking themselves. The Brian Stelters of the world. (laughs) The Rachel Maddows. The Keith Olbermans. Okay, maybe he doesn't ask that. I think Keith is pretty convinced he's he's got it all figured out. Well, Constantin Kassin, writing in tabletmag.com, has an excellent piece of it's It's parody, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. Imagine that you were a normal person in 2016 who watched Brexit happen after all the experts told you, no, 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 that's just a racist thing for racists, but it's never going to happen, and then it does. Then they tell you Donald Trump, that racist monster, he's never going to get near the White House. And then he gets elected. Now the pandemic has come. You go to the supermarket. You notice that some people are wearing masks after they were first told, don't wear any masks. What next? Constantine Kassin says you turn on your TV, you learn that shoppers at the local supermarket aren't the only ones who've been ignoring the rules. Uh Uh-oh. Nancy Pelosi arranged for a salon shut down by government decree to open privately for her. And then she publicly blamed the business owner for violating the lockdown. Wow. California Governor Gavin Newsom is seen eating dinner at one of the most expensive restaurants in America with a large group of unmasked people indoors. In the UK, Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist whose projections were used as the basis for lockdowns, appears to have broken his own rules to get some action with his married lover. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's chief advisor, Dominic Cummins, drove halfway across the country to ensure he had a better place to isolate. The journalists who berate him for this are later have found to have attended an unmasked indoor birthday party in breach of their rules. But the lockdowns continue. Then a man is killed in Minneapolis by a police officer arresting him for a petty crime. The man is African-American, the officer is white, the arrest and murder are captured on video, which quickly goes viral around the world. Imagine your horror as you watch an officer of the law kneel on another man's neck until he passes out and later dies. This is disgusting, you say to yourself. I hope they throw the book at him. Overnight, a huge campaign for racial justice springs up around the world. Now, no one explains what racism had to do with the incident, but they don't need to. As you know by now, the West is racist. America is racist. Police are racist. Therefore, any time a crime has a white perpetrator and an African-American victim, there's only one possible motive. The fact that an identical incident, incident led to the death of a white man named Tony Timpa in Dallas in August 2016, that's never mentioned for context. And while the lockdown rules remain in place, the protests against injustice spill out into public places. Tens of thousands of people crowd into the streets of major cities. Few of them wear masks. And social distancing is non-existent. Clashes with police ensue, and in the United States, protesters loot stores, destroy businesses, attack residents, and start fires. A retired African-American police officer from St. Louis named David Dorn is among dozens of people murdered in the chaos. The media then describes these events as mostly peaceful protests, as broadcast reporters stand in front of burning buildings. After months of harsh restrictions, the media and political class offer no criticism of protests that violate every element of lockdown policy. After months of telling you to stay at home to avoid spreading COVID, 
Doctors explain that rather than being a potential form of super of super spreading, protest is a profound public health intervention. Right. Big tech companies go into overdrive to stop the spread of what they call disinformation. Alternative points of view regarding the efficacy of masks and lockdowns, as well as the origins of the virus itself, are increasingly blocked, flagged, and censored. Attempts to discuss the negative impacts of lockdowns on the health and mental well-being, especially that of children, barred from going to school, are suppressed. And as the year runs on with a pivotal U.S. election looming, Trump promises a huge push to develop a vaccine. Then-Senator Kamala Harris, running for vice president, says that if Trump advised people to take a vaccine, she wouldn't take it. Now, on the eve of the election, a major media outlet releases a damaging report about Hunter Biden, son of presidential candidate Joe Biden. The story alleges corruption that may implicate his father, as well as drug use, paying for prostitutes, and more. Twitter and other social media platforms immediately prevent the story from being shared. The media lines up commenters or commentators rather to claim the story was yet again Russian disinformation. Now, once Hunter's father wins the election, it becomes clear that several key elements of the story are likely accurate. And the laptop from which the information was recovered is, in fact, not a Russian decoy, but Hunter Biden's laptop. Meanwhile, in the UK, the publicly available number of COVID patients and deaths nationwide turns out to have been inaccurate. For some time, any British citizen who died at any point for any reason after having tested positive for COVID was counted as dying from COVID, even if it was from a car crash. The official figure is later revised again. By the way, he has links in his article, Constantine Kassin, links. So this is not just him making this up. You can, you can check the documentation yourself. He says the number of people who were in the hospital because of COVID also turns out to be incorrect. Now that a bigot is no longer president of the United States, closing national borders to visitors from other countries is no longer considered xenophobic. In fact, it's widely advocated in the media. Likewise, it's no longer considered racist to detain people at the border, put them in holding cells to deport them, or simply turn them away. The supposedly racist conspiracy theory that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan is now open for discussion. It even looks like the most credible explanation of the origin of the virus. Imagine your horror when you learned the reason thousands of people died in the first wave of the pandemic was that elderly patients with COVID were allowed and, in fact, sometimes compelled to be released back into nursing homes. In fact, it was a personal decision by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, brother of CNN anchor Chris Cuomo. Governor Cuomo's publisher later suspends promotion of a book he wrote in the meantime. It's about his leadership during the pandemic. Meanwhile, Texas and Florida, which remained largely open and avoided Dacronian lockdowns, seem to have made out okay. Kids have been going to school. Businesses have stayed open. You look at COVID death rates by state, and neither Florida nor Texas cracks the top half. It's at this point that vaccines become the main focus of government policy and media commentary. The same people who told you Brexit would never happen, that Trump would never win, and that when he did win, it was because of Russian collusion, but also because of racism, that you must follow lockdowns while they don't, that masks don't work, that masks do work, that social justice protests during pandemic lockdowns are a form of health intervention, that ransacking African-American communities in the name of fighting racism is a mostly peaceful form of protest, that poor and undeserved children locked out of shuttered schools are still learning, 
and that Jesse Smollett was the victim of a hate crime, that men are toxic, there's an infinite number of genders, that COVID couldn't have come from a lab until maybe it did, that closing borders is racist until maybe it isn't, that you shouldn't take Trump's to vaccine, that you must take the the vaccine developed during the Trump administration, that Andrew Cuomo is a great leader, that Andrew Cuomo is a granny killer, that the number of COVID deaths is one thing and then another. These are the same people now telling you that the vaccine is safe, that you must take it, and that if you don't, you will be a second-class citizen. Understand vaccine hesitancy now? I'm sorry, but that's that one is going to leave a mark. That's, uh, that's not a backhanded slap. That is an open-handed whack across the cheek, and there's a face print right there on the cheek of most members of the American media. And for that matter, it could be other media outlets as well. I'll have a link to this in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Bottom line is you've got to make up your own mind. You've got to be the one to think and speak freely. But at the same time, I'm going to come back to to my conversation with my friend last night. Don't overload yourself. Do not overdose or gorge yourself on all of the information that is being, you know, blasted at you. Maybe you've picked up on this. I've certainly started to notice this, and it was particularly in my Facebook feed. Um, there's, There's, of course, the news headlines. Something about the way those news headlines are written. They are written to elicit a response because I read them and I'm like, ooh, that one is is like somebody thumping their finger into my chest. And and, and it, it took a little while for me to realize this is somebody deliberately trying to get a rise out of me. They're trying to use my sense of outrage to get me to click on their story and find out just how, you know, how much I disagree. No matter how you slice it, that's manipulation. Don't give in to being manipulated. These uh, The folks who, who do this for a living, these highly uh, paid and blow-dried spinmeisters, they're very good at what they do. That's why they pocket millions of dollars for managing the narrative for the people who pay them those millions of dollars. you got to own your own worldview. And if that means taking a break from the media, you're probably going to be better for it. Just a little something to consider. This is The Brian Hyde Show.